Listener Production. This podcast was recorded on the ancient lands of the Gadigal peoples of the Eora Nation in Australia. I wish to acknowledge their rich and continuing culture and especially pay respect to the elders past, present and emerging and to acknowledge and pay respect to any First Nations people from anywhere in the world who may come to hear this podcast. We hope that we may all come to walk with gentle feet, strong minds and compassionate hearts in this global village. No one wants to be a lousy dad. Aiming to be a good dad is great, but do you know what? Being a good enough dad is so much more important. I'm Maggie Dent, parenting educator, author and champion of boys and men, and this is The Good Enough Dad, where I chat with committed, caring, sometimes confused and often funny dads about all the ways they've discovered to be good enough at this parenting gig. My good enough dad today is Mitch Tambo. Oh, still hits me in the feels. I remember the first time I saw Mitch singing that version on your the voice on Australia's Got Talent and the goosebumps. And I think the the other one that really sticks in my heart is the firefight concert with John Farnham and then even Olivia Newton John came on at the end. Man, my I was just sobbing with how amazing that was. So Mitch is a proud Gamilaroi man and his pride in his culture and his passion for unity deeply infuses the work he does. It's something that filters through his love for his family, his wife Leah, his stepdaughters Sofiana, Olfa, Kalani and daughter Phoenix. Mitch, welcome to The Good Enough Dad. Yama, yama. Thanks for having me. <laughs> now, give us an idea of what this morning was like in the family home. Was it was there kind, calmness or chaos? Look, I've got to say, you said in the intro, it was a beautiful intro, but I just want to make mention, you said, you know, uh, Mitch's beautiful stepdaughters, Sofiana, Offa, Kalani, and his daughter, Phoenix. And I've just got to say off the bat, with my utmost respect, they are all 1,000% my beautiful daughters. Beautiful. Stepdaughters, blood, not blood, whatever, they're my beautiful cherubs, and I'm really blessed to have them in my house. And this morning, you know, when I got up uh, to try and beat peak hour traffic, one was off to school, one was getting ready for school, one was doing their hair, and the other was waking up, running around the house, saying good morning in a nice, beautiful, sweet scream to everyone. <laughs> so that's what was happening in my house. And I was pouring bottles of water in backpacks, getting ready for a hot, beautiful day. So that's what was going on. <laughs> I love that. And thank you for that, because that's really what I hear a lot of times from um Dads who've been on the journey a lot, just saying, you know, when they're in my home, they're mine. And that word we don't need. Sometimes people call it a bonus dad, and I think that's kind of sweet too. You were raised by your single mum in Tamworth. Tell me, what were some of the adventures you would have got up to as a kid growing up in the country? Yeah, look, growing up in the country, in reflection, I think you have to leave sometimes to really realise how incredible it was. And for me, you know, just swimming in the river, um, taking long walks into the bush, exploring, all that kind of thing. I think I look back on it. It's just such a blessing to grow up that way. Just an outdoors kid, you know, crashing bikes, band-aids on knees, elbows. That was kind of my upbringing. Lots of sports, lots of culture, dancing, going to schools, all that kind of thing. It was just a great way to grow up. Tell me, how much did you see of your dad in that time? And did he have much of an influence on you as you became a man? Yeah, look, I see my dad. Oh, I don't know. Like, let's just say once every 10 weeks for a week. He he lives like maybe three and a half, four hours away. So I saw him most school holidays for a week or two, maybe a couple of weeks over Christmas. And then he um, unfortunately passed away when I was uh, 22. So uh, I saw him maybe not often to a lot of people, but to me in reflection, enough for me to have really fond memories and for me to have a real appreciation for the input he has had in my life because you don't realize until you sort of get older 
and you have certain phrases or sentences or conversations that are really indented in your head that pop up quite often. So I am, I am really thankful for that. Oh, I love that. I've got some from my dad as well that are just pure classic. <laughs> Only could have come from my dad. So was there another stronger male role model that may have influenced you a bit more than your dad? It's interesting. I live with my pop. Uh, I lived with him from maybe the age five, six to about give or take 15. I lived with my grandparents and mum. So he was a, a constant male role model um, in my life, gave me the first shave all that kind of thing. But he was, you know, from the old school, born in the 40s. So didn't say too much. It's not like we had in-depth birds and the bees combos and talked about this and that. It wasn't really about that. It was just more the principles that I learned is let your handshake be your handshake. You tell someone you're going to do something, do it. You know, if I was coughing up my gut sick with the flu and I didn't want to go to rep basketball training, I'd be like, well, you're not training, but you can go and sit and watch them train because you've made a commitment to the team. And when you say something, you follow it through. So it was kind of those old school um, morals, you know, uh, never lay a hand on a woman, never touch a kid. If you're, you know, courting, dating someone, you make sure you open up the door for them. It was that kind of thing. With my, my dad, my dad, dad, it was more about him and me being kind of later on in life, best mates. I think we we're really good mates before he passed away. We had a great relationship in terms of, you know, we talk once a week and really have long, lengthy conversations. We shared great moments, camping, surfing, that kind of a thing. And I think maybe he felt that's all it could be because he wasn't in my life flat out. So when we were together, it was more about giving me great experiences and having those encounters. And that's kind of how it was. Where my pop was kind of more, you know, if mum couldn't do it, he would take me to training. He would drop me off. He'd pick me up from school, this or that, if it had to be done. So he was kind of, he was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in my extensive travels, I've spent a lot of time in remote communities and there was a really mm. big influence of the uncles in many of the you know communities I visited. Did you have any uncle... Who was not in present. that space? You didn't no, have one there? No, I had an uncle, but not, not present. But had extended community and family that were absolutely incredible and really pivotal in my upbringing and where I would sort of end up, I think, in my course of yeah. life, just by being around strong men that were doing great things in community. You had a pretty strong auntie too who influenced you at one point, didn't she? Aunt Bernadette. So I'm still, you know, with Aunt Bernadette all the time talking, writing music, you know, incredible elder. Um, incredible person who's out there in Bogabilla and many again like of uncles as well that you don't realize until you look back and you reflect it and you go wow it was that it was literally that moment or that interaction that really like wow here I am you know as a dad married years have gone by and I'm thinking about that interaction. You've previously said that you started to feel a strong pull towards your culture when you were about 15, which is actually a time where all teens start saying, who am I? What's my yeah. sense of identity? Can you walk me through how that woken you and how you searched for that part of you? As a young person, I was always proud to be First Nations, you know, Aboriginal Gamilaray, always really proud. But it wasn't until I experienced Crobbery for the first time. And was just like, wow, like the feeling I got was just, I need to do this. I can't not do it. So I, I just got into it and ended up jumping on board um, with the, the brothers from a local high school who we would go into combat against each other playing basketball every Wednesday night. And I just said, look, man, I, I need to do this. And, um, it was, it was really funny because the a couple of the brothers, I'd get their hair braided and look really deadly. Like it was really nice braids, all patterns and things. And I had a, like an Afro, I had this big curly mop of hair and I was like, I need, who's that sister doing the hair? I need her to do my hair. So it started <laughs> off with that. She braided up my hair one afternoon and, and the brothers, they knew that, um, <laughs> we'd go into combat. They were very fond of me because we'd just go into battle. And I remember we just kicked back and played heaps of basketball that afternoon and I started playing for their side. I'm in a men's comp and then next minute I'm, I'm dancing with them and we're going everywhere and I'm starting to learn our lore, our culture and the stories and the songs and we just go everywhere and it was just so incredible. I knew from 15 before I even linked up with these lads that this is what I want for the rest of my life. This is all I want to do is share and understand who I am and, and that's really it. That is such a critical window in a boy's life on that journey yeah. over the bridge to manhood and yes. when there Big isn't crossroad. that really, really big anchoring into something that holds mm. you, you become untethered. So I was, don't know what would have happened if I didn't find culture, to be honest, so because uh, my personality is very much, 
I'm in a thousand percent, either which way, whatever we're doing, I'm in. And um, I know that if I didn't find culture, it could have just been a completely different story for me. Because mm. you're right, at 15, you're testing the boundaries, you want that independence, but you can't quite have it yet. You, you're feeling whether you're being respected or not respected by a teacher, if they really care or don't care. You know, you start to become awake. There's all these different things. And for me to have been exposed to my culture at that level at that age, it really set me up for where I am today. It's undeniably the truth, you know. When did the music arrive in your life? And when did you find mm. out you had that fabulous voice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, music was always around me, obviously, you know, growing up traditional songs and things. But I was always like the didge player or the dancer. I never really sung. I would sing if there was no one else around and, and I just had to get it done. Mum was into musicals. So, you know, there's always music at family barbecues, but never in a million years was interested not in a negative way, I just wasn't interested that I would sing. Like, you know, I just knew I wanted to do culture and I wanted to actually dance. I wanted to be a dancer. But look, I can barely touch my toes as it is, so that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I had a friend, or I have a friend, great great mate of mine, Dan, and uh, he said to me one day, you should get a loop pedal. I'm like, bro, what's a loop pedal? And he said, it's this thing where you just layer on top of, like what Ed Sheeran does live in concert. He just, you record, you layer, record, and you do it all live. And I said, well, what for? I don't do anything. And he said, you, you beatbox, you play didge, you, you know, you can play an all right cajon. I think you'd be great. And at the time I was doing lots of um, cultural stuff and it was kind of touristy and people always wanted a didge CD or something from me. I never had anything, couldn't be, I wasn't interested. Anyway, I said, look, if you set the thing up for me, I'll buy it. No worries. And I was living in this uh, two bedroom apartment by myself unit and I got it. He set it up in my kitchen and within seven days, I'd written my first EP and I decided that Whoa. I would uh, sing on it. So I, I started, I was jamming digging stuff. I thought, this just isn't me. I think I want to sing and I want to sing, you know, tell my story. So in seven days, I had written seven tracks. And before I moved out to Uluru to be like a wellbeing coordinator out there, I was like, hey, uh, to my same mate, I've heard about these awards, the NEMA Awards or something, like National Indigenous Music Awards. I didn't know anything. Like I was pretty fresh, so to speak. So I actually thought I had a shot. And uh, how do you do this? Well, you needed a Triple J on Earth account. What's Triple J on Earth? What's this? <laughs> so he set me up. I put these two songs up, moved back to Melbourne about six months later to host a kids TV series. And I was driving down the freeway and I started getting <laughs> emails. You've been Triple J's Unearthed Artist of the Week, um, you know, in the top five must hear First Nations artist, this award, that award. And next minute people wanted to hear me sing. And I just <laughs> couldn't believe it. So I just, I rang him again, like, what do we do? And I come up with all these crazy ideas that he nearly hung up on the phone on me because it's so left field because he's an incredible muso. So I'm just going against the grain yep. and uh, we made it happen. And I just started to learn how to sing. Wow. And how old yeah. were you again? So I did that around, I'm going to say 2016, 17, around there. And then before I knew it, I was on AGT and, and it was all, all happening within well, well within sort of that four-year kind of span. And I'd maybe done like, uh, give or take, three or four live performances of my music yeah. live, you know, wow. and that was it. And I just decided <laughs> to go for it and had no idea um, of what light ahead and what I would sort of jump into, yeah. Yeah. Did the girls <laughs> love having you, you know, as a dad, as a singer and a muse? I mean, do you matter more than the Wiggles for Little Phoenix? <laughs> So funny you say that. <laughs> With Fifi, she's very much went through a phase. She still does it where it was like she would sit on my lap and ask for dad. And I'm like, well, dad's here. Or you want you want dad in the bright colors and the headdress. Ah. That you want that dad, dude. Dad, 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 <laughs> pointing to the screen. And I would have to sit through all my variations of my songs. And everyone had to, anyone, like whether it was uh, my wife's mum, she would have to sit through it and to, to the point where she'd be like, wow, son, I didn't realize you did that interview and this interview. I'm like, oh, I did that a while ago. She said, yeah, well, we have to sit through every single clip or song of you on YouTube all day. I'd drop her, drop her off and go and do some work or something and they'd, they'd be stuck with me regardless, you know. Oh and even God. her sisters and that, like, what did you do today, Sophie? Yeah, we watched you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that is, oh my God, yeah. that is so gorgeous. You've mentioned that your dad died when you were around 22 and you've said that yeah. 
before that if you were given one thing you could do over again, it would be mm. to surf with your dad. And yeah, there's something that. pretty special, isn't there, in nature? But talk to me about why that was pretty special for you, being in the water with him. I think it's just something we re- we shared. He taught me how to surf. Every time I was with him, we would spend probably hours in the water. As I got older, like maybe, you know, 17, 18, somewhere around there, and I could paddle and do it all myself, we would go together and he would have a board, I would have a board. And I just have like fond memories that were just really special that I really hold in my heart, whether it's um just sitting out, not even catching waves, but just sitting out there on the board and just talking about nothing and just laughing and that kind of stuff. And it, it is, it's stuff that really sticks with me. And, and I didn't really get anything after he, he passed, like in the physical sense, but I got two surfboards that were his and I, I'm lucky enough that I, they're surfable and I take them with me here and there. And so it's just something that we really, we share together that I actually do hold close to my heart. It's a, it's a special thing that we had. It's interesting because all my sons are surfers and they often say mm. to me that it's waiting for a wave that can be this really yeah. sacred place. And whoever you are with, it's, it's, you don't just need incredible. to talk always. It's just this pause mm. in life. It's so special. And I, I sort of went away. Oh, I went away from it for many years. I, I just had them in storage. It wasn't actually until last year. Um, it was my birthday and Leah rolled up in my car and she put roof racks on it. And she said, you know what? I think you need to get your dad's board and go and spend some time with your dad. And mm. I was like, wow, this is pretty deep because I'm talking years. Like I haven't mm. surfed in years. So she actually had an Airbnb with the kids and we went away and I jumped on, jumped on that board. And it was so funny how grief operates because within a space of like five hours, I went through so many emotions. One was like, oh, it's all too hard. I couldn't be bothered. Let's make it about the kids. And I realized I become aware like, man, this is grief. Like this is your yeah. grief. We get, you have to get the board and you have to do this because you need to push through this. This is actually grief where you're in its head. And I jumped on the, like the first wave. And I just felt so alive. I, I, I felt like I could hear him like screaming like I would when we surf, like, woo, yeah, you know. And uh, I was like, wow, I've got to do this. And I, all year I've tried to make pivotal times where I go and I surf and do things that really nurture and look after like almost like that 12-year-old, that 14-year-old boy inside of me. I've become accustomed this year to trying to try and really um, celebrate him and allow him to just be young, which is weird as a, as a dad, but I feel like it really serves me well. So I went and I was like, I rang up my wife and I said, Leah, I think I want to buy a surfboard. Like I've actually never owned a board in my life. They're always dad's boards, but I always really wanted to surf. But as a boy, I lived in the bush and I'd just come see him and it was my stepbrothers that surfed, but I really wanted that. They got surfboards. I got a scooter and she's like, just do it. You just need to do this. So I, I went and bought this surfboard, got out in the water with it. And it's all these crazy things that do, they tie you back to your dad and it's grief and it's all these things. And you start to walk in it just a little bit and you start to feel so light and so alive yeah. again in different parts of your life. It's crazy. I think there's something really interesting that you've touched on about grief, you know, mm-hmm. having, it's something I've worked a lot in is that the things that you used to do with the person you've lost who you loved early on hurt. It would have been too hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's like me listening to Seekers songs after my dad died. I just couldn't do it. And then when you've grieved enough, then you step into those places and you get just joy, but yeah. you can't get there until you've grieved. You've got to That's have cried it. and just felt the pain in your heart. And then if that lifts, then you're able to experience this incredible connection because really we've only lost the physical of them. That's it. That's it. And it's really interesting because you feel great and then you have, we have Phoenix. And now I go through spouts. I'm like, wow, he would have been like such a great pop. Wow. I wish that they met. It just would have been so, he would have been so hands on. It just would have been amazing. And you ride through that and you go, well, it's all right. I know that they're around and, and all that. But it's funny because as you grow and you develop and things happen in life, there is moments where you go, man, it would have been real cool for you to be here for that. Can you remember when you suddenly stepped into becoming a stepdad to three girls? Because prior to meeting Leah, you were a single man. Tell me about that journey. (laughs) Look, I was just a single brother. You know, in Melbourne, I probably couple of years prior, I finished my degree or something, and I was doing cultural education shows, just traveling around schools, and I may have just sort of done the EP, and me and Leah got talking, and I obviously realized she was uh, older than me, and she had kids, and I was like, okay, 
this is full on in the sense of, well, I know what it's like to not have a dad. And I, I asked all the questions, is their dad present, all this and that, which he is, and he's in their life, which I th- honestly, I think is amazing. I think that's great. But it was more than anything, can I do it? Like you're saying to yourself, talking like, man, like, dude. It's big. This is big, man. Like this isn't about just dating someone. It's about young people's little hearts and lives and school drop-offs and pickups and a thousand different commitments that obviously I just, I didn't have to think of and I didn't care about because it wasn't my life. Just I was doing my thing. It was like, if I want to go to Japan tomorrow because a gig come up and the gig is worth nothing in money, I can just do it as long as they pay for flights. You know, like it's a very free, (laughs) free life, you know, it's pretty chill, but I wasn't doing much because I was very committed to what I was doing in terms of my work. I'm really passionate. It's not like I was jet setting or anything. I really wasn't unless it was work, but the more I got to know Leah and obviously fall in love and all that kind of thing, it was really her belief in me that allowed me to keep walking in it because, geez, how can I see myself in this when it's like, you know, I'm very real. So it's like, yeah, it's all good. You can build yourself up and I can do it. But really, man, can you do it? It's a big call. And it wasn't more anything to do with the girls, the personalities or anything like that. It was all to do with me and my own self-doubt and my own disbelief and whether I could actually do it. And Leah would be like, so chill about it. I could just be uh, having a moment. Are you serious? Like, you sure you want to be with, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, you, and she'd just be like, Mitch, I've seen, like, you're incredible. Yeah. yeah. You've got such an amazing heart. You're going to be just fine. You just need to relax. And as soon as you relax and chill, the kids will feel that and it'll be all good, you know, but, but she'd say it so like, not blase, but so relaxed. And sometimes that would G me up a bit too. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you're so chilled about it. This isn't a chilled situation. And then we just stepped into it, you know, and the more that I let go, the better it got. But mm. it, sometimes it's really hard to let go, just learn. And I'd come from also a background that was very male dominant. Like, obviously I grew up with mom and my nan present, but I didn't have sisters. Um, I had three stepbrothers on my dad's side and a whole bunch of brother boys that were friends. And I was in a, a, obviously a male dance troupe and sport. And so it was, it was a big shift, you know, where it's not like you, I could just go, let's go and let's go for a run and a kick of the footy. So one of the things that we know is that male self-worth is often dependent on whether I see I've done good. So you can see that there's a part of you wondering if I muck this up, then it's you know, I've got a lot at stake here because you can yeah. see the reluctance, but fortunately you, 100%. Were, you were able to uh, step right in there. Now, okay, so then Phoenix has turned up and um, mm. how was it with a brand new baby? What was that journey like for you being around the other girls and loving Totally. Them? Completely brand new. I mean, with the girls, there's fear there, doubt and all these things that run through your head, but it's completely opposite to having Phoenix. With the girls, it's like, how does it work? I, I was similar in the sense of my parents split. How's it work? You know, the dad's present. Am I going to be a good stepdad? Will they accept me? Will I be good enough? Yeah. All of those, just all self-doubt, but it's actually nothing to do with the girls because the girls are beautiful. With Phoenix, it's like, I don't want to screw this up. <laughs> I have never dealt with the baby before. Okay, changing nappies, sleepless nights, all these other questions, that's a whole nother level of fear too and self-doubt. And again, the more I let go and just become sort of present as in like just be, just be, then it was all good. And Leah would be like, I'd be like, you've done this before. She's like, no, every baby's different. Hmm. This is new for me too. So we have to go on this together and it's all good. But if you have questions, blah, 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 you can ask me and- I attribute it all really to Leah because she's been so unconditional and loving with me and it's just allowed me to actually let go and not be rushed to find my feet, but just to step it out and, and I've found my feet and, you know, I really do in my household, I've literally got four different relationships and they all fall under four different titles. So Sophie will call, calls me dad, Offer calls me Mitch, Kalani calls me uncle dad and Phoenix calls me daddy and they're four <laughs> different relationships. And, and I've learnt, you know, that that's an amazing thing. Yeah. It's all, it's all different and the relationships don't have to be all strong in one certain point. They all have their unique, beautiful place. And I, I know I've learnt so much and grown so much because of all four of them. So I'm going to throw back to what you said about Leah when she was convincing mm. you you could do it and she said you had a good heart. <laughs> convincing me. <laughs> yeah. 
right? Well, the good heart is exactly what every child needs. Can you love me unconditionally and ferociously? And you obviously, that's, that's why it'll work, regardless of biological or non-biological. So did you have any thought about what sort of a dad you wanted to be before you became one? Our present dad, a dad that is around, is my main thing. And I'm so imperfect with it all. And sometimes when I get on myself and a bit negative, I pull myself back to that and go, man, you're here. You're here every day. And that's all that matters because it sucked not having my dad present. When I look back in this moment with you, as a kid, you only know what you know, so it doesn't suck. It's just life and... You don't realize that you're from a broken home and you don't realize all these things. It's just life. But when you become, you know, a young adult, you start thinking about these things. And I was like, I just want to be present. I just want to be around. And a massive milestone for me, which was a huge milestone, was when Phoenix turned 18 months. And I said to my wife, wow, okay, I did it. She's like, did what? I'm like, well, dad left when I was 18 months. Oh, And I'm, I'm just, I'm here and Phoenix is 18 months and we're good and life's good and I, I feel really great about that. But I, I didn't realize it would be a moment for me, but it was a mile, it was a real moment. Yeah. Also watching Phoenix grow and, and develop, cause I always thought, you know, he left at 18 months, he missed everything. He wasn't there. Like he just wasn't there. But from born to 18 months, a million things happen. Mm-hmm. And it like awoken all of these questions in me and it made me almost feel emotional too. Cause I was like, wow, dad actually held me in shower with me. He actually was there when I was walking. I would have been yelling at dad, dada, dad. Mm. Like there's all these things that would have ha- like he was there. And I kind of started to think like, damn, like I never got to ask him anything about our relationship living together. Mm. Even though it was just 18 months, when you become a father and you go through that window, like, it's actually like a lot happens. Like I never got to hear him say, oh man, it, I hated changing those, geez, your nappy yeah. stunk. Or I didn't yeah. hear any of that, you know, and it all of a sudden become really important to me. Yeah. It's really funny how it all works out. And it all sort of comes back, I think, a lot to that sort of inner child stuff, you know, it's yeah. quite, it's really interesting. He saw your first steps and heard your first words and all of that. And yeah. you didn't, you didn't kind of realise it. Didn't realise it, never thought about it, never thought of his arms you know, yep. me being Holding just nestled you. into his arms as a baby, yep. like none of that. And all of a sudden you're an adult and they're, they're 10 years gone. And yep. you, what does this kind of mean? It's really interesting, the so questions good. it poses. You've mentioned some really good things that your, your pop has given mm. you in terms of character building. Mm. Was there anything else that you consciously think I've brought forward as a dad from either your dad or your pop or... Anyone else? I, I didn't realize how much like my dad I am. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots, lots of him in me that I think you go up with the single mum. Everyone just like you look like her, you are like her because you're with her 24 7. But no one actually sees your old man because they don't know him. He's not there. So today I, I really recognize, man, I'm, I'm my dad in this area. <laughs> For example, yesterday or last year, I said to Leah, I said, you know, I want to be. An, an active dad, a present dad. I, I want to take the kids camping. I want them to be saltwater babies. But a lot of my life, I was kind of told that I wasn't that kind of guy, almost like not that man's man. Maybe I come across a bit artsy or just don't want to get their hands dirty. And I love it. Like my dad was very much that take camping and so active, so into it, super sporty and all rounder, all these things. And last year, and we took the kids camping and I'm, I'm chucking up all the tents, setting everything up, driving a thousand loads of car stuff in there, getting everything ready, pumping up paddle boards, surfboards, kayaks. We're into it. And I'm like, wow, this is all my dad. Yeah. This isn't, right you know, there. th- there's no one else around. This is dad. You know, um, this is what dad did for us. And although I wasn't with him every day, those moments really stuck with me. And we uh, emulated a picture of dad and I and me and Phoenix last year of, of him um, and me with a surfboard and then me and Phoenix with the surfboard. And it's just really, I'm not going out of my way to be him or to emulate them moments or recreate. It's just who I am too. 
Yeah. And I love that because I get to carry him with me in that aspect as I carry other traits of family and stuff with me. But it's really beautiful being a kid that never had him present every day and only had limited experiences that I have really strong memories and really strong, beautiful, positive traits of him I get to carry. Oh, it's, that's so beautiful. And you didn't know yeah. really until it, had no you idea. stepped into that no. same role. It's beautiful. No idea. Yeah. Okay, so is there anything you've consciously chosen not to bring forward from, you know, your pop or your dad? Yeah, totally. Heaps. I think pop's generation was very fear-driven. They went through a lot, come from quite a poor family, you know, sleeping on like a two-bedroom house, 16 kids, sleeping with Hessian bags over them on a veranda in the middle of winter, being sent home from school, frostbite, no shoes. You know, they did it really tough. So I think with that was everything was very, like, fear-based. He taught me a lot of great things. He he showed up for me all the time when I needed him. He was always there, but everything I think was fear-driven. It was like, you know, no one should sort of leave the nest, go and explore things. You should just have almost like have one job and just that's it. You're secure, get a house. You know, what's your dream? Oh, what if you broke a leg? You should have a plan B, that kind of thing. Hmm. So for me in parenting, I'm very much like, what do you want to do? Let's get it. Let's get it. Because you only got one shot. So let's just do it. Let's live life. You want to go to the army? How can we make that happen? I try and be very much like that. And sometimes, you know, you got to pull yourself up and recognize some of them traits and go, well, I, that's not who I am. That's a learnt behavior and I don't want that. And becoming a father and a husband, I'm really open to Leah's feedback and really I try and like sit back, whether it's in the shower, whatever, and reflect. Was that really appropriate is that a trait that I really need to have and sometimes a lot of the time it's learnt behaviours and things that yeah. you've come up through. From my dad, when I was younger I found him really intimidating and impatient and I obviously look back I'm like well he was probably in his late 20s or something you know he was just a young fellow working it out but when you're just a kid you know it's like you're David and their Goliath you know it's so intimidating and I realized that as he got older, he really went through self-reflection. And I just remember he definitively just changed. So from that side, it's just, you get impatient, you have these moments. And if that does happen, I try to always end the night positively. Mm. Even sometimes if you got to say, oh, sorry, sorry if I was a bit abrupt there, but this is why I was abrupt because I was concerned that this would happen and I don't want you to ever feel this or that or blah, blah, blah. But try and be open and convey, convey, I guess, uh, your, your emotions and, and show the human side of being a parent too, that you're just doing the best mm. you can mm. without trying to heap your own stuff. And it, it's very layered. I mean, I think my generation and the generations now coming through, it's completely different styles. You know, how my parents parented is a reflection of how they were parented and yeah. where their parents come weren't easy times necessarily. So, you know, you're just doing the best you can and I'm grateful for my upbringing. It helped me become the man I am today and where I am. So there's no real regret there or anything like that. Um, I think everyone just does the best they can with what they've got and, and that's okay. And as you become an adult, you really, you realize that and you're able yeah. to reflect and really empathize with your um, family too. But it just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. If there's one window that you've mm. found most challenging since you've become a parent, what would that window be, do you think? So are we talking Phoenix or are we talking since uh, having all, all the girls? All of jump? the girls, yeah, for beginning of you becoming mm. a parent. Just letting go. That's the hardest thing, period. There's nothing else I could really say. I mean, to anyone listening out, listening out there, oh, wow, that's really deep. But it, it's really hard to let go. Let go of your insecurities, not take things personally. Be defensive. Um, it's so hard at times, yeah. yeah, when you're new to it. Now I know like, you know, five weeks out when PMS is due, I just feel the energy shift, not even being smart. I just go, okay, I know what's happening. Where before, you, you're fr so fresh and new to it all, you go, oh, what, you think I'm a jerk? What have I done wrong? Like, what's wrong with me? Me, 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 me. And it's like, let go. It's nothing to do with you. you yeah. You're actually not that special as special as maybe you thought you were. It's just everyone has a bad day. Someone's navigating through something. Something might have happened at school over here, over there, or it's just, you know, at the end of the day, you're a new man in the house and um, 
you just need to relax, breathe and be yourself and things will iron themselves out as we go, you know. Totally. Um, but sometimes it's really hard in those initial phases as like a relatively young fella to um, just be a young adult and not fall into like your kid brain and be reactive <laughs> and act like a kid, you know, in return. Where now I'm just like, you know, I can go and take a breather and go, you know, like could be like um, Phoenix, could be like we just come out of swimming and the last thing she wants to do is get in the car. And it could be like we're going to go into a bit of a tanty or whatever. I've never like lost it or got overwhelmed because the changes prior and that is letting go. Don't act like a kid. She's not angry or nothing. She's just trying to express her emotions. So while that happens, I'll just talk in a calm manner and I will breathe though. I'll breathe deeply I'll go, and I'll get through it. And um, I only it only comes through letting go. It's just... Yeah. Sounds so easy, but it's not. <laughs> you think it's letting go of the male ego? <laughs> yeah, let it go, brother. Let it go. Oh, bro. Yeah, let it go. <laughs> yeah. We all muck up because we know it's mm. human. And, you know, that's yeah. the whole point of the podcast is good enough means we'll have these moments. Mm. Can you share one of your <laughs> significant failure moments as a dad? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like, there's nothing wrong with the question. I think when I think I fall, you know, you feel like you fall short all the time, but I've always brought it back to I'm here and I'm present. Yep. So I don't allow myself to like even remotely sit in the thought for a second of being a failure father. Um, and there's been times where I've said to Leah, I feel this or that, and she just shut it straight down. Won't have a bar of it. My thing is, is I'm here and I'm present. And I'm literally doing the best that I can. And um, wherever I can grow and develop and be better, like I honestly will. But I, I just can't say that I'm a failure dad because I'm present. If Leah's breastfeeding in bed and I have to, I'll get up and, you know, the only thing I can't do is hair. I can do like a, a standard like <laughs> ponytail or whatever. Yep. But or I two ponytails, yep. I can't do it. <laughs> And Kalani, she won't have a bar of it now. She's like, nah, it's all good, Uncle Dad. I'll ask Sophie. She can do my hair. Yeah, I love it. So, so get good. Sophie out of bed. She can do your hair for school if she's got a late sleep in. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but I now, love it, you know. Like Even last yeah. night, Fifi, she, uh, Leah, uh, we're at the beach. Leah plaited up her hair. And she's like, dada, dada, off, off, off. And she sat on my lap. And I'm like, man, in a million years, I never would have thought, like, my daughter would be sitting on my lap. We're watching cartoons and I'm unplaiting her hair before bed. What a blessing. My life turned out nothing like I could have ever imagined. It's the little moments of connection Crazy. sometimes, isn't it? Mm, that hit totally. you right in the heart. If you yep. if you have let go, you're not yeah. too busy. You're worried about what I'm going to do next. Now you're in yeah. that moment, 100% present mm. and unplaiting her hair yeah. gave you that joy. Now, Mitch, we all worry about our kids. I mean, I still worry mm. about my boys and, you know, Two of mine are over forty. I oh, know I don't look it, but yep. they are. But what's your <laughs> biggest? What's your biggest fear for your girls? And especially as a First Nation girl in our world, what are your mm. biggest fears? My concerns for them, like you know, even the other week, I had to say to them, "If you if you're going to travel and get on the train, I need you to promise me you won't be alone because there's a big neo-Nazi thing here at the moment." And it's been all over the news and I just need to know you're so safe. And I need you to realize how serious this is. And I need you to make sure that if you go out, you're certainly not alone, please. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize because we lead great lives, you know, we're blessed. And there's, But when they go out in the real world, they will be treated differently. And that's just the harsh reality. And it's not trying to be negative, but it's about equipping them as a parent that they're empowered within that space. And they do feel like, they're not behind the eight ball, but they're just aware that things are going to be different, but I can still get what's mine and lead the best life and be as successful as possible. And that's kind of our reality. And I want to make sure too, that when they're dating, they don't end up with someone that's going to lay a hand on them or that kind of thing is really important to me. Jobs come and go and you can change your career and all that kind of thing, but I don't want them to go through that trauma of being in that kind of relationship. And I don't want them to be subjected to neo-Nazism and all that kind of thing. But I can't say that it will never not happen because that's just the reality of the world we live in, unfortunately, you know. And my nephew, 
He's a beautiful fella. He's probably like six foot two, six foot three. He's a big fella. And he's been targeted so many times. Police putting their hand on their gun while he's at a, a train station and where are you going and pulling him up and being followed around and he's, he's you know, had to dart into a coals because he's just freaking out, doesn't know what's going to go down. Like these things happen and they're real. And it's even happened to my wife, Leah, where I've it's late at night, you know, 10 minutes till coals shuts. I've gone, I'll wait in the car. You just start in and grab it. And she just comes out just absolutely gutted because a security guard's just following her around the shop the whole time, just belittling her, just to the point where I'm like, we're going to have to ring like management of Coles because this is, this is disgusting. I can't believe this has happened to you. And she's just profiled to the max because it's winter or in the suburbs, last minute run to Coles. So you just throw on what you've got on and she chucks a hoodie on her head and runs into Coles and they just followed her the whole time going, you need to get out, wear clothes and you need to get out, wear clothes. And you know, like... How many times have we all ran into the supermarket, not 10 minutes on the clock, like two minutes. It's like, yeah, quick go and get a loaf of bread and get back here. So things like that, they happen and, and it worries you as a parent because you don't want that to happen to your kids, but you can't stop it from happening. So all you can do is equip them the best you possibly can so that they are, hopefully don't be as affected as like maybe you were once upon a time. Just makes me sad to, to mm. hear that still happens, Mitch. Yeah. I guess like while we're on it, a big worry of mine is the social media because it really upsets me when they get targeted over me. And that really upsets me because I just think, you know, it's obvious I'm on here. I've got a a decent following. I made the decision, but you don't have to bring up my two-year-old daughter and then bring up, you know, my wife and make threats and say things that are just absolutely filthy. And I can see you're a real person with grandkids yourself. That kind of thing worries me because a lot of the times when you see these kind of humans, it could be your local secretary at the doctor. It could be a school teacher or it's everyday people that you would never see it coming from. And you just think of your own baby's little hearts and they're so untouched in the world and that kind of thing. And as a parent, you just don't want their little hearts to be hurt on that level, you know? It's the dark underbelly, isn't it, of that world yeah. out there that it's just breaking hearts, and, yeah. you know, and it, it, yeah, it is, it is. Um, and I guess it's a part of me because I'm an empath and I'm also a humanitarian that mm-hmm. I just thought maybe we could move forward and realise that every child matters and that, you know, if we can come together with those gentle hearts and strong mm. minds and we could do this a lot better than we do. But I think it's opened up an avenue for those who are unwell, immature, or I'm not sure. What would you call them? Yeah, all the above. All the above. Okay. <laughs> so let's lift Let's lift the conversation. Mitch, let's do I'm it. Take holding it some hearts. hope. <laughs> yeah. So one of the favourite parts of our chats is, is all the wins. And I know you don't <laughs> want to name a spe- special one, but yep. come on, give us one where you mm. sort of thought, man, Gee, I nailed that. I did that so good. Or I'm doing well. I mean, you've already nailed it with the plats, but mm. what's another one that, <laughs> come on, give us another one, please. Oh, where I feel like I nailed it. Look, I just love taking them out and doing stuff as a family. I know that it's, it, uh, you know, like the camping, we went away for a few nights and I didn't know what to expect. The girls had never camped before. It was like, oh, this could be really bad. You know, what happens, all the do's and don'ts. And <laughs> and as soon as we, we got home and, and the day we got home, it would have had to have been, you know, high 30s to 40. And within half an hour, the girl's like, hey, can I bring such and such next time? Or can we do this next time? And oh. I was just like, yes, man, we did it, you know. Yeah, you did it. We, yeah, like it, we, we pulled it off, yeah. you know. <laughs> this is amazing because uh, just to have them out because, you know, kids these days, it's so different. You're not on push bikes. You're not waiting for streetlights to come on before you get home. You're not even really asking for sleepovers. You jump on a, a PlayStation or a console, you put a headset on, and you can talk all night long. It's like, why would I stay at your house where I can be in my bed and we can hang out and play this game you'll love all night long? It's like it's not in. We're not going to the bush. We're not, we're not scratching our knees. We're not doing that. So to go camping, to get out paddle boards, kayaks, to be in the water every day, to be not in the shower as long as we'd like or all these things to be sleeping a bit rough or whatever. And for everyone to have had a great time was just the best. And we got to a point cause I brought my surfboards and I just said to my wife, I'm, I'm ditching them because it's not about, I, we just, I'm yeah. just going to make it happen for the kids. I'll just what? be 1000% rocking every day to make sure they have a great time. And, and we went so hard 
and it all worked out. It was awesome. So was there any music around the campfire? Yeah, well, it's so funny. Not really. We play up the speaker, and um, <laughs> but we played cards every night. Played yeah. Uno. Yeah. There's another card game they all get into that just gets real competitive. Told stories. My mum was there. Leah's mum was there. Sorry. And, um, you know, we just yarned up and she told us all stories of what it was like growing up in West Papua back in the day. And it was just great. It's so good when you strip it back in camp because all you can do, I mean, you can have your phones, but I think you're just more likely to gravitate to hang out. Yep. Just talk about yep. anything. Yeah. And um, it's just such a great experience. And Phoenix at that point, she was just walking. So... I had to cart all this gear. I had like, you know, like, like baby <laughs> I know fences. how much. <laughs> I had the biggest baby fence. I'm like tying it all around this gazebo to make it so she didn't have to worry. And it was great. Uh, I'm going to ask you a, a, maybe a slightly tricky question because right. I just want to know, Mitch, what is, mm. you're only allowed one thing. What okay. do you hope your girls will learn from you as their dad, as their father figure? Just one thing. I was going to say unconditional love. I think that's a pretty good one. Mm, I think it's like, yeah. I'm going to say it maybe, I'm not going to say it's hard, but I feel like we live in a world that's very conditional. So if you can show up, like you have your bad days as the parents, you can be impatient or whatever, but I think unconditional love is just like, I'm never going to say, well, I dropped you here and did this and did that and blah, blah, blah. And now you need to do this and X, Y, and Z. If you know, I think it's just, you can call me up and I've always said it. Mm. I've, I've said it to them. And I, I said to them, look, only if you agree, because um, if you don't, I, I respect that. But I just want to say to the girls, openly, you're getting older. And if anything ever goes down, we used to say to us, you're going to stay at such and such's house. And all of a sudden you sneak out to a party and such and such happens to just have so much to drink and they're spewing all over themselves. And now you're stranded, you don't know what to do, that you always know you can just call my number and I won't ask any questions and I'll come pick yeah. you up and we can deal yeah. with it tomorrow or the next day. I want you to always know that. I'm always here for you, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets. All you have to, all I ask in return is you just tell me the truth. As long as you tell me the truth, I can deal with it and we can just work through it because I don't ever want you to be trapped or stranded or in a position where you're like, they're going to kill me because we're not going to kill you because my job isn't to be here and be an authoritarian. It's to just help guide you and do the best that I can. And a part of that is you need to know you're always safe. I'm always going to have you back. I just need you yeah. to tell the truth. Yeah. You know, and always. I feel like that's, that's like an unconditional... Like you can never disappoint me kind of thing. So the final question is, if mm. you could give some advice, a nugget of advice to your pre-dad self before you stepped into Leah's life with those beautiful girls, yeah. mm. I'm pretty sure I know where it's going, but what would okay. be that advice? <laughs> Dude, you're good enough, man. Yeah. Bro, you've yeah. been through enough in life. You love this woman. Do you love her? Yeah, I love her. Do you think she's the one? Yeah, I do. But what's holding you back? Is it just fear? You don't think you can do it? Yeah, I just don't think that, man, three girls. Like, are you serious? You reckon I can do it? Man, I reckon if you love her and you're a smart man and you know that they're an extension of her and they're a part of her and you're willing and you love her and you're ready for this, then you're so ready for them. You just got to not be so hard on yourself. And you just need to relax and breathe and enjoy it, man. You love being with kids. You love having fun. You love getting out. What? This is like the perfect scenario for someone like you. What are you talking about? <laughs> you just need to chill out. You're so uptight. Just relax. Something like that, I reckon. You've got this. Yeah. You got this. You've just got chill. This. Relax. It. It's fine. Like it's it's all going to work out. And you know what? When me and Leah spoke when we first met. We used to just sit and talk for hours and hours and hours. We just talked and talked and we'd just have really open, honest conversations, whether they're uncomfortable or whatever. And everything we said that we would do if, if we got together and what would happen and all the rest of it, everything has happened. No matter how out there, whatever, it's all fallen into place and it's all happened. And we often look back and go, wow, everything we said in that car that night when we're talking, blah, 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 it's, it's here it is. Um, and it all just come back to me letting go, I think, because Leah was just all good. She was so chill. She just, it's like she could just see the real me a million miles away. And she just knew what I would grow into because everything, it's so weird. Because I, I, she wasn't an issue at all. Never a doubt, never anything. It all comes back to, to me, just full in fear and doubt and anxiety. And the minute I let go and just started to chill and have fun and just, do me and know it's all good. 
that's it. Things only could get better and better and better and better and better. And today I've got four incredible daughters and I have four incredible relationships. And as much as it might be like, that's great. Look at you. You're a dad. The thing is, is they have given me so much. I could never, I could never pay them back if I tried because they've helped me grow and develop in such a way that I could never repay them for that. It is one of the gifts you get from being a parent is you become a better human. It Mm. might not always be pretty, but I know that's definitely (laughs) what happened to me. I'm a much better human as a consequence of being a mum. Yeah. Yep. Mitch, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Shout out to all the dads out there. Just relax. Let go, man. Stop being so hard on yourselves, all right? And thanks to all our beautiful wives and partners for just believing and seeing who we can truly be. Shout out to all the kids too. Remember, we love you and all our imperfections. Thanks for having me. I love it so much. Mitch Tambo, proud Gamilaroi man and musician. Wow, what a deep chat. Mitch had some great ideas on how to be a good enough dad. So let's add them to our checklist. Firstly, that most dads are pretty afraid, especially of mucking up, and that all we need to do is open our hearts and love. That's the most important thing. Secondly, it's okay to show your kids that you're human, that we all have good and bad days, and then on the lousy days, make sure we repair them. And thirdly, it's hard to not take your kids' behaviour personally sometimes, but as As he says, just surrender, let go of your ego, let go and let love. I'm Maggie Dent and this is The Good Enough Dad. Follow us on the Listener app or wherever you get your podcasts.